rise, 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 warrior, you rise, rooted in all that's true to Hello and welcome to our Way of the Wild Dreamer podcast, full of juicy musings on the creative life, with me, Claire Jasmine Beloved, and as we'd say in Liverpool, all me mates. <laughs> Interesting arty friends who will be sharing real life stories and the lowdown on being a creative in the world. so happy to be joined today by um, a very very dear soul friend Sarah Lowe's and Sarah is someone who saved my life during lockdown with our beautiful walks where we talk about creativity and all of life and put the world to right so I'm very grateful for that and a you know a life of friendship and um, creative comradeship that we've shared as well and Sarah it's hard to describe your creativity because I feel like um, you just are a deeply creative artist in just the way you live and approach life and your curiosity for creativity and everything really I'd say you're a storyteller an intuitive creative stitcher a playwright, a writer, and um, weaved into all that is, you know, you're, you have been a therapist and um, just that understanding of the creative process and, and always growing and living into all that. And so it's a delight to have you here today sharing some of that with us. Is there anything you want to add to that description and just welcome? No, not at all. Um, it's a really beautiful description. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can you, now this is a big question, Sarah, which may be a lifelong question and not something for a short podcast, but can you tell us something about your creative life, how it has unfolded for you and what it looks like now? Gosh, well, um, I'd <laughs> say a little that, question though. Yeah, I'd say I went from having really hardly any creative life at all to having what I have now. Wow. But I think what I have now is not the end of it. It's still getting bigger and expanding and unfolding. So that's it's lovely to feel that process happening. But you know, I, I was like everybody else. I work nine to five, five days a week. I was tired when I got home, weekends I was cleaning the house, you know, just normal life. So there wasn't a lot of time for anything much. Although when I got time off from work, you know, I would uh, knit. I used to really love knitting, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, it wasn't until I began to, until I retrained as a psychotherapist and began to work for myself, 
which meant I could work the hours I wanted, that I began to realize I could use that time more. Mm. But I didn't plunge into wonderful. Now the time I'm not working, I can use on creative things. No, not at all. Because my previous life, my conditioning, you know, just hung over. So I still prioritized housework, other people's needs, what mm. other people wanted me to do. Mm. You know, if people wanted me to go here, go there with them, meet up with them, do something else with them. I always prioritized a person over anything that I might want to do creatively at home because it felt wrong not to. It felt selfish. Mm. So that's what I did. Um, but I was still doing more creative stuff than I had been previously. Yeah. You want to know what my life looks like now? Well, mm. I think since certainly since lockdown, since a year ago, when all that going here and coming there, being with people was taken away instantly, my first feeling was just total relief. Yeah. It was, to be honest, it was joy. Joy. Yeah. Because these days just unfolded where I didn't have to go anywhere or be anything or do anything. I could just sew mm. or write or, mm. you know, whatever it was, or draw mm. or paint or whatever it was I wanted to do. And to begin with, I couldn't quite believe my luck. I mean, that sounds like a terrible thing to say when a pandemic was unfolding and people were dying and, oh dear, and losing their jobs and so on. But that's sort of how it felt to me. And every now and then I'd catch myself thinking, no, it, it's not a dream. You know, I really can do all this or, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> hey fever. I really have got tomorrow and the next day. And the next day, mm. and I just couldn't believe this. It took me months of like pinching myself that I had this time to just do creative stuff. And at the moment, my life still looks like that. Mm. So that uh, the value of of time without obligation to others uh, seems really yeah. important. And so um, you knit, you um, stitch, you explore through art and collage and writing and playwriting i love that that it's um you know you haven't pigeoned yourself hold yourself into like i'm this kind of artist or i'll just do that and um, i love that um it feels like there's a thread running through everything but you are courageous enough to explore that in all different kinds of ways well, that, yeah, that's kind of you to say. I mean, you could look at it as, you know, Jill of all trades and mistress of none. Um, but I think you're right when you say there's a, a thread. And the thread that runs through anything like that for me is expressing what's inside me. Yeah. And bringing it out from the unconscious into conscious life. Um, and that's what happens. How, whatever I do, that's what I'm doing. Mm. and not everyone does that when they create so I think it's a precious thing and was it the psychotherapy training that um, made you see the value of that or did you always have that um I think it's definitely the psychotherapy training made a lot of difference but it's not just training just having psychotherapy would do that for you too yeah. I think some people are really scared to look within because they think it's just going to be lots of bad things mm. Or some, or a void with of nothingness. 
And I can tell you that after 22 years of being a psychotherapist, nobody has bad things inside them or a void of nothingness. Yeah. So we might have past trauma. We might have fears. We might have sadnesses, but those are not bad. They're not, they don't make us a bad person. Mm -hmm. And they're only part of what's in the unconscious. The unconscious is huge Mm -hmm. and vast and full of beauty and all kinds of wisdom, things that almost you don't know that you know, but you do. Mm. And those things just want to come out and be expressed in whatever way is right for you. Oh, and the richness of, of what's in there. And I, I often think, you know, sometimes I fear of looking at something for what it'll uncover, but it always uncovers hidden joys as well that I'd forgotten that it kind of become buried under the difficult stuff and so I think it always unearths more than just the trauma Um, and that's the gift of it really isn't it the work absolutely because no matter how bad the trauma is that you've experienced the point is you are still here yeah yeah so you what strength you have that you didn't know that you had Mm. Mm. And, and what depth of understanding now of life and other people's experiences you now have. And those are just things that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, we could. Uh, each person will find their own richness in what's happened to them. I don't want to necessarily use the word gifts because I think that's overused in some ways. Yeah. But I think there's there's always a richness and many layers of sensation in what we have undergone. I'm laughing, Sarah, because the cats in your studio are running round. <laughs> two Siamese cats are chasing each other around the room, yeah. That's, that's are, the cats are wanting to be in the podcast. Yeah, they want to express themselves loudly, usually. <laughs> So um, we've got Sarah Lowe's and her cats today in the studio. So um, what is your process for creating if you feel like you have one? And do you have any practices that you kind of go to daily or weekly or does it all unfold organically? How, how is it for you? Well, it depends what, what, what I'm going to do. If I'm going to do a sort of, if I'm going to do an art piece or a stitched piece, mm then my practice is really simple one because I've, I've tried lots of things that you, you read about in books or that you hear other people do or whatever, and nothing ever really seemed to work for me. And I just felt at, at quite a low about all that one day. And I just got a piece of paper, a colored pencil in my hand. And I said, what does this hand want to do today? Mm. And I just did not think anymore. I did not design. I didn't do anything like that. I just let my hand move with the pencil on the paper and see what lines and shapes and curves it created. And that way, I get something unfiltered Mm. and full of life and vibrancy. Yeah. And I was so impressed by this (laughs) shape and curves and things that I'd done I then immediately translated that into fabric and stitching Mm. and I could see that there was new life in it and it was about the movement of atoms 
within living things, you know, like in spring when you can almost see plants growing no. and buds unfolding. And it was, it was all that. And it was there in this sort of large doodle thing that I'd done. I so mean, that's a practice I return to again and again. Sometimes I think of stitching as from someone who doesn't stitch as quite controlled and, you know, it's got quite, you know, it has to follow a rigid way or it's a skill that's very, you know, has a way. And so I love that, um, that you've been able to translate those feelings and the energy and the aliveness into what you created. But I guess that stitching and embroidery has always been used to tell a story. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I, I love that, Sarah. And um, what about with your writing? Because you were also a successful um, like writer. How is that? Is there a process for writing? Oh, is there? I don't know. Writing is really different for me anyway. I think I, if I can hear the voice of a character in my head, if I can hear their regional accent or whatever, then I can just sit down and write what that person is saying. Because I'm a dramatist really, I'm, you know, I'm not a novelist or a poet or anything like yeah. that. So it's all plays or monologues. And if I can hear that person's voice or that character, then I can write them. It's sort mm -hmm. of like that. It just flows once you've got yes. Yeah. Do they almost become like alive, the character, and then they're like, dancing onto the page kind of thing well I, they certainly appear fully formed you know I know exactly how they stand mm. um you know even down to their their gestures and I just know what they are who they are yeah and you're also um writing a book at the moment um about um well go on tell us what the book's about <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm writing a book about mystical transcendental experiences in nature. Oh, <laughs> sounds very grand, but it's basically um, my experiences, like everyone else, of going out for a walk during lockdown. Mm. Whether it's to a park or whether it's around the streets and noticing dandelions growing through the cracks in the, the paving stones, nature is everywhere. Mm. Mm. And once you start, noticing it you can't stop noticing it yeah yeah and my my book is about timeless moments where you and the dandelion are looking at each other basically <laughs> and you're equal in importance as living things and it senses you and you sense it and you're just aware of each other's being in that moment I love that because I think so often, especially in maybe the new age and spiritual world and people are like, you know, almost, almost a very subtle exploitation of nature where like nature therapy, where we use nature to make us feel better. But actually, you know, I was reading something where someone was saying, you know, I think, or maybe it was you telling me about the book, Sarah, and I've already got it like as a written thing. <laughs> The book already exists in my mind. I wish. Saying like, you know, not only are you encountering the squirrel and thinking, isn't that squirrel lovely? And isn't that magpie lovely? But the magpie, you are also in their world and they are looking at you and what are they thinking about you? You're a character yeah. too. It's more of an exchange than just like humans using nature to feel better. Absolutely. Yes. 
I mean, nothing against people who, uh, you know, use herbs for medicines or whatever. Yeah. That's yeah. totally worthwhile. Yeah. But yeah, this is much more about an equality. Mm. And that means a sort of shrinking of yourself mm -hmm. as a human being and yeah. a raising of the plant or the bird or whatever. Mm. And you are equal in creation. Mm. And you're both here right now in this material form. And if it's a living thing, it will sense pheromones and photons of light coming from you. And you are picking those up from the living thing. Even if you can't smell anything, your body is still picking up the pheromones or whatever it is from those nettles or plant, whatever it is. I'm also, I'm, I'm almost I'm like imagining the squirrel going back to its nest saying you know oh my god i've just seen this human it was so healing you know it's really helped me day mm. that i've engaged or like not they were a crank <laughs> like that that human's just ruined yeah. my day or but you <laughs> are like now a part of their story just like yeah. they are of you um, and i was thinking about the other day when we were walking Sarah and I were walking through Sefton Park and all of a sudden I kind of heard it before I saw it and it was almost like um, the, the air felt different for a second, something really tangible happened in the air and then this heron that lives in the park like flew past us almost in slow motion and I went, <gasps> you know, and then you went, <gasps> and then like other people heard us gasp and they just stood in wonder at this amazing heron flying in it was just like an incredible bliss moment it was i mean it was it was an incredible moment as you say and the heron was was really quite close to us mm -hmm. it was it was really a moment out of time really quite amazing. stunning amazing so sarah do you create with audiences in mind like are you thinking would other people like this or understand it and um, do you take commissions with your work I mean it's it's difficult because there's all kinds of different creativity expressions that you do um, but how does that work for you does it hinder you does it help you know I mean it's a big question but what do you feel about the mix of all that um, I, generally speaking, I'd say, uh, no, <laughs> I don't do that. Mm. I don't write with an audience in mind or stitch something with an audience in mind. Yeah. Because I've tried that. <clears throat> yeah. The closest I've managed to get to that is if someone says, well, this writing needs to have, say, an LGBTQ theme. Yeah. That's the closest I've been able to to get to writing to order. <clears throat> so then you yeah. think about your audience as well. And yeah, but generally speaking, no. Because mm. when I try to do that, it just doesn't ring true. It just doesn't work out. It's like trying to bolt something external onto myself and work from there. Yeah. Whereas the only things I can create have to come up from within me. Mm. That might just be me, but that's how it is. And what's your relationship with kind of social media and like posting stuff you've done on there or sharing your work with other people, whether that's in person or at events or, you know, is that, is that help or a hinder or a complication? Well, what, what's interesting is when I 
tried to write or create from an external theme, mm. if I was to post it on Instagram or whatever it might be, I would probably be worrying about what other people would think of it. Yeah. Is it good enough? Is it not that good? Whatever. When I create something that comes up from within me, other people's opinions don't really matter. Yeah. I and mean, that sounds incredible. Yeah. And obviously, if somebody said, oh, that's absolutely vile what you've done there, I would be a bit upset. <laughs> but really, other people's opinions just don't matter because something that comes up from within me is it's not like I chose to do it that way. Yeah. Just the it just it just is what it is. It just appears as it appears. So it's just a completely different viewpoint. It's like looking at something through the other end of the telescope. Yeah. Can I ask about, um, I know with your writing, that um, with the script writing and the, the plays and things that, you know, at one point we were walking and talking about, you know, submitting things for competitions and for approval and only a certain amount of things get picked and, um, you know, rejection and feeling like the work might not be good enough. And then, like, I remember you doing a U-turn and thinking, you know, I could just put this on for myself. I could just write something, you know, and put it on as a, a, a thing where I can make money for it myself without waiting for that approval. And I found that, like, really liberating example. Can you talk a little bit about that to us? Anybody who does any kind of writing, especially for money, has to be able to put up with rejection because you're going to get a huge amount of it. But it is very wearing. Yeah. And um, having been one of the winners of a playwriting competition and having a play on and, and that all being so wonderful, mm. you'd think that would then give you loads of confidence for anything else you, you do. But no. I then applied for three years running to, for um, playwriting mentorship on a program here in Liverpool. And I got turned down every single time. Yeah. So that was really, really depressing. If you can hear hissing and spitting in the background, it's the cat. Um, <laughs> they agree, <and> <laughs> agree that it's depressing to be turned down. I found that really difficult. And then I think we were talking sometime. Sorry, cats just trod on the keyboard. <laughs> the right. What about us now? Yeah. So you and I were talking and you said something like, well, you know, you have written all those monologues. What about just performing them? Doing, you know, what about, what, or what about getting those put on? And I thought, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and then I left it a bit. And then I went back and read a few of them and they made me laugh. <laughs> And I thought, you know, this is good writing. Yeah. So, hmm. And then there was um, a, a thing came up in town where they were doing like a talent evening where you could just book a spot, go on and do something. Yeah. And it was in, in aid of some charity. And I thought, right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go on. I'm going to do one of the monologues and see what happens. I'm going to test it out with an audience. I don't know. They don't know me. And so on. So I went and did that. And I thought, well, the worst that will happen is that people will talk all the way through it, you know. Yeah. Well, what actually happened was that they shushed each other and you could have heard a pin drop. Wow. So I thought, wow, there is a liking for what I do. Yeah. 
But I think there always will be a liking for a story. And basically a monologue, you're telling somebody a story. So I thought, right, then I will do it. And I booked a place in town and I put my own show on for two nights. Amazing. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was wonderful. And, you know, people often say to me, you know, oh, well, I'm waiting to be accepted or a theatre wouldn't look at my work or a gallery wouldn't be interested in my artwork. And I've always thought like that hasn't been my way of thinking, really, because I've always thought, well, just book a room somewhere yourself and like create a gallery or... Um, you know, my first exhibition was in an old garage that I painted up and just said, right, this is a gallery now and I want my artwork in here or, you know, so I, I love that you did that and I went to um, that and it was really successful. Uh, we all had a great night and you're right, story is what is needed in these times and we all laughed heartily and we thought it was amazing. So I'd love another one of those when we can, Sarah, because I really <laughs> Well, um, I also, you know, I made £500 on those two nights. Mm, wow. You know, it, you can put something on yourself and you can make money. You, you know, there, there, people will come and see it. I'm Whereas we tend to think, oh, if I do it myself, it won't be as good. It won't be the same, you know, but you can. And I think it gives you an amazing amount of freedom. Like, I'd like it like this. Whereas if you're in a theatre, you might, you might yeah. one, not make as much money because the theatre's taking a big cut. And two, you can't have control over your work, which is what I like. So, Absolutely, yeah. This way, I did it exactly as I wanted it. The lighting was how I wanted it, everything. And it worked fine. Really? But it was due to your encouragement. I think I would never have thought mm. I can do this for myself. Mm. You're right. You, we're always waiting for someone else to give us permission. Yeah. So, I mean, people ask me a lot around money and how do artists earn money. And um, where does your creative life meet with the need to earn money? Has that changed over time? Has it never been about earning the money because you've had other jobs? Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Money is a really difficult subject, I think. Um, I have always had other jobs. Yeah. So I've always been a, you know, been a therapist or whatever, as well as... Does that but, take pressure off or? Yes, yes it does. But obviously you still need to make money and it depends also whether you have other people involved in whatever your creative enterprise is. So when I had a play on, obviously I had a director and I had actors and I really wanted to pay them. And yeah. I did pay them because there's an awful lot of, especially in the theatre, of expecting people to work for free. Yeah. And I really think it's wrong. Yeah. Even if you pay somebody £10, you should pay them something for what they're doing. I really believe that firmly. And I will never ask a creative person to work for me without paying them. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, people often don't think they, you know, if you're selling a print or a painting or whatever it is, they haven't thought, well, that person's got a graphic designer in to help them. Then they've had to get something printed. And then there's, you know, there's often a lot more people than just yourself involved in bringing something into being. There can be. And, and also it depends on what your, what your craft is. Like mm -hmm. if it's a stitching thing, people wouldn't believe how many hours I have stitched on that. It could be 20 hours <laughs> you know, to produce something. 
I remember yeah. that um, Sandra tried to like cost me work with how many hours I'd done on it and minimum wage about a painting and I was just like that ain't never gonna work because you know I might have done 200 hours on that at least and then I'm not even thinking about how much the paint cost and so I had to explain that it might work a little bit differently with some creatives. Well that's absolutely right yeah I mean there's your materials there's always your materials to cost out but the time spent is is vast yeah. <laughs> So people are always getting a bargain with us, I think, even if something yeah. is expensive. Um, so do you think that that has given you a freedom in the way you've created, say, if you were having to work to a commission or make a piece of sewing for someone or make a piece of artwork or a play, that it would influence or put more stress on you if you had to make money from it or you had to do it how they wanted I think it would definitely put more stress on me if I had to make money from it. I mean, obviously you're going to make money from whatever you do because you're not going to do something for 20 hours for nothing. Yeah. But um, if that was my only income, yeah, that would be really hard. Mm. Be very, very stressful. I'd be totally aware of that all the time. So, Sarah, if you look back on your creative life is there a, a best moment where you think god i was really in the creative flow there it was like a, a pinnacle moment of creative bliss is there something that you can remember where you think yes i've arrived um well when writing is good it's like i sit down and turn a tap on mm. and off it goes you know and when I wrote my first play, My Afternoon with Bruce Lee, it was like that. But you know, the sad thing is, that's partly because I didn't know anything about the theatre world really then. I mean, you plenty about drama, but I didn't know about like how you put plays on and what it involves and so on. And so I was completely free. And when is that writing. an advantage, do you think? You know, you were in the flow, you weren't thinking about all those other things, you were just... Yeah. Working from the creative soul, really. For example, um, Bruce Lee has a cast of eight or nine. Mm. I would never do that again now, knowing what I know. <laughs> it would be like three or four, you know. Things um, we would never do again, because we know. Yeah, but, you know, I didn't know that then. And so I just wrote it as it, as it came to me. And yeah, it was a joy to do. God, I, I think of some of the projects I did, like even eight, nine, ten years ago, and think, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, you know, what was involved in pulling those things off? And if I had really thought about it, I would never have done it. And I don't yeah. think I'd do it again, but I'm glad that I did. Yeah, trying to coordinate eight or nine actors and a director for rehearsals and performances. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Sarah, what do you think is your growth area around creativity at the moment is there um places of learning that you've revisited over the years and you think god i'm still trying to get to grips with that or you know what are you struggling with still that um you're exploring well with writing writing the book this is not writing drama i'm still feeling my way all the time to writing more in my authentic voice Mm. And I think anybody who, who writes will know that struggle because it's easy for me to write in somebody else's voice from any, any accent, any place, 
no problem. But writing in my own voice so that the writing is simple mm -hmm. but strong and explains complex things simply and interestingly. That's always my goal. And that's one of the hardest things to do. Well, I mean, I think you're an amazing teacher, Sarah. You know, if I ever need to know anything, I, I would ask you and say, can you, you know, can you tell me what you think about this? Because your way of explaining, you know, I think you've also got like a really teacher, so a soul of a teacher, and you can really like get complex things across very simply, which is a beautiful skill, I think. Oh, thank you. That's real, real compliment. Thank you. Hmm. So you talked to me um, at one point you were exploring something on a walk with me or on a course or something and you were saying about you'd made a decision to um, use the metaphor of a ship and that you were turning it round to get to a different place and it was really amazing it really stuck with me and I think it's really helpful about the creative process and life so could you share that with us? Yes, um, I'd, I, it was like one New Year's Eve around that time and I decided I wanted to turn around the ocean liner of my life. <laughs> that's how hard it feels. You know, an ocean liner is a big thing and when you want it to turn around, you have to start trying to turn it around about 10 miles before the actual turn arrives because it's just such a big unwieldy thing to get it to change direction. And I think trying to get your life to change direction, for me anyway, was, is just as hard. <laughs> because there's so much of your, your previous conditioning, your previous way of habits, routines, way of being, trying to change everything to a different direction is immense. But what I wanted to do was, I wanted to change my life from being 20% creative stuff and 80% work stuff, house stuff, that kind of thing to being the other way around so that 80% of my life would be the creative stuff. Wow. I mean, that, that's a huge change and you just can't do it overnight. Not because always your physical circumstances don't allow, but because your mental circumstances don't allow, I think. Yeah. Too big a shift to do in just one. Yeah. Yeah. I th I think it's such a new way of thinking. We keep falling back into old pans yeah. and old stuff. And it's making that decision each time. No, I'm going to leave the ironing <laughs> and I'm going to do this. And each little decision like that is altering the course of that ocean liner by so many degrees, you know, until over time it's going in the opposite direction, which is exactly mm -hmm. why. Uh, and leading to a completely different destination on the map than you would have ended up in if you'd have done the ironing thank god yes <laughs> I mean, i'm that. still i'm still working on this you know i haven't turned the ocean line around completely yet but not that i've ever ironed in my life well maybe once or twice but um but yeah definitely and those little decisions um really can be really powerful i think as well so i love that turning around the ocean liner of our life so sarah if you had to travel back to yourself as a child that creative precious child and and tell her anything about the creative life about life now for you and um, 
what would you say to reassure or inspire or comfort that younger Sarah? Well, I'd say two things. One is what's inside you is genuinely interesting yeah. and worth bringing out and looking at in daylight. And the second is, second would be rather, find other creative people mm. and spend time with them, yeah. be with them and see how they live, what they do and do some creative work with them. Because yeah. I think it's very difficult to be creative in a vacuum, or rather it was for me. Absolutely. I needed to see what being creative looked like. Yes. And I think that's part of what um, this podcast is about is, you know, um, really getting to know other creatives where you think, oh, well, they think like me and, you know, it's normal to have those doubts and, um, you know, it's okay. And I think when we haven't met or talked to many creatives, we can be under all kinds of illusions that they're different to us in some way. Yes. Yeah. And so... Um, it, it's a club to which I don't belong is what yeah. you're, you know or they've got this special ingredient which means they've arrived and of course none of us have arrived anywhere and maybe arrived is when we die so we're not yeah. being, being in no rush to arrive anywhere really yeah oh Sarah if we could support you in any way if all of us could would help you in some way as a thank you for sharing in this podcast what would that be would it be uh, following you on instagram or sending you love or reading your book when it comes what what can we do to help you well reading my book if it ever gets comes out yeah um i think well, there's not much point following me following me on instagram unless you like looking at lots of photos of siamese cats because they they do figure a great deal cats are i'm sure like you know, I post all kinds of things and well thought things out on Facebook or Instagram. And then, you know, I put a picture of a cat up or a GIF and that's it. But, you know, the, the following shoots up enormously and <laughs> it's one of the most liked posts. So I think it's good for our ego to remember that, like, our cats are probably more popular than us. Most definitely. So if anybody listening to this likes Siamese cats, I'm at S-E-N Lowe's at sen lows brilliant and i'll put that link up as well and good luck with your book i have already chosen my outfit for the book launch <laughs> and can see myself toasting with a glass of champagne and um it's already out there and and i think um I've always thought of like our creative projects as having a life of their own and that's something that has actually come up a lot um in the themes of this podcast that mm. our creativity's actually got a life of its own apart from us. And so I already feel like the book's out there flying and, and it's just like you catching up with it and helping it out there in a way. So oh, I like that idea, yeah. <laughs> Sarah, it's been a real delight and beautiful to talk to you and I'm sure everyone else um, will be signing up quickly to see those pictures of the cats and it's been great hearing the cats biting in the background as well. <laughs> yes. I'll have to put them in the um, podcast picture as well. I think at one point Ragnar was um, playing with some brown paper. So if you hear crackling noises on the recording, that's what it is. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. And good luck with um, 
10 and the ocean line around and carry on creating and you're a real inspiration for just working and creating from the soul and from the inside out so thank you so much and uh, lots of love thanks for having me you've been listening to the way of the wild dreamer podcast thanks for tuning in and if you'd like to follow more of my work you can visit my website at www.clairebeloved.com i hope you found this podcast inspiring and irreverent and juicy Oh